Hello and very happy holidays from all of us here at Motorsport 101. I'm RJ O'Connell, editor and co-host of Motorsport 101. We thank you very much. Uh, This is our 2019 Formula One season review episode with myself, Ryan King, Cam Buckley, and of course your friendly neighborhood, Andre Harrison. We recorded this uh, on the week after the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. It took a few weeks getting this out. I'd been on vacation, uh, seeing my wonderful partner, and now I'm back home. Got the episode done. Uh, so consider this a holiday double extravaganza with this and the M101 Award Show, which should already be out by the time you're listening to this. Just really quick, a few plugs that I wanted to get out of the way first. Again, we are at motorsport101.com, and you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, we're on all social media, YouTube, Facebook, we're at Twitter, at motorsport underscore 101. If you want to follow us personally, we're at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, at cbuckby917, and at RJ O'Connell for myself. And if you back us financially at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101, you get early access to all of our shows by pledging at the $5 level. At the $10 level, you can listen in to all of our shows as they are being recorded. Um, let's not waste too much time, because I know you'll be in, in eagerly anticipating this episode. Here is Motorsport 101's 2019 Formula One World Championship in review. Right, let's dig deep. Now, here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to go mostly by tradition here. We're going to go team by team. And uh, we're going to go in reverse grid championship order, you could say. We'll start with Williams and we'll work our way forward until... We get to a special mention for what RJ calls in his show notes, Red Bulls Racing's Island of Verstappen Sidekicks. And uh, <laughs> we'll break it down a little bit there because, because Toro also kind of deserves a special extra sticky mention in here. Um, regarding oh, my. That. And then... and <laughs> Shut up. And then <laughs> we'll also do at the end, and I quote, the biggest five. And uh, there is five aubergine emojis um, on that part of the show notes here. I, I'd just like to say I had no say in this whatsoever. This was purely an RJ O'Connell, and uh, God rest his soul. Um, so, without further ado, let's go from the top. Um, it is now, uh, we're going to look at Williams Racing here, first of all. Or should they say, Rocket Williams Racing. Should I say, Formula um, 1.75 World Constructors Champions, baby! <laughs> Well, uh, excuse me, I think you got that wrong. It's supposed to be uh, F1.999, World Constructors Champions. Well, they scored a point, so they won the championship. Oh, bullshit, they scored a point. <laughs> this wasn't good. Williams? I'll read it from the top. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they had one Constructors point. They were stone dead last in the Constructors Championship. Um, Kubica scoring that one point in Germany after count back on penalties. Qualifying-wise... 
George Russell, and then we're going by races where both cars completed the full session, and that's races and in qualifying to narrow it down to give it absolute fairness. 19-0 to George Russell on that one, and if you include the races where there weren't technical issues, it was a it was a clean sweep by George Russell. All 21 races, technically speaking, he started on the grid further ahead than Robert did. Um, not much better in races head to head. Um, 16-2 in favour of George Russell on that one. Fun facts. One point is the lowest tally that Williams have ever scored in a full season with a car of their own construction. Whoop. Back-to-back last place constructors results for the first time ever as a factory team. Uh, Russell becomes the second driver to out-qualify one teammate in every round in as many years. Going back to Fernando Alonso, he he did the same to uh, Stoffel van Dorn at McLaren last year. And the first rookie in the knockout qualifying era to do so. And Robert Kubica reset the record for longest gap between points wins. The last time he did that before Germany 2019 was Abu Dhabi in 2010, which I believe was his... Was that, was that his last race for Renault? It that was. was his last race for Renault before the accident. Yes, thought so. Um, where, where do we begin here, boys? This is, Williams, uh, this is a... Williams came into the year. There was a lot of discussion of the state of the team. And I think the first sign of all of this is that they missed the first week of preseason testing. Yeah, it w- it was looking like a shit show right from the very start. Yeah, and if you look, if you remember back to last year during the first time they had the 2019 wing on the car, and the car was slathered in Flovis. Yeah, and we should note that that one point came at the German this year's German Grand Prix, <laughs> which was the most fell. <laughs> Yeah, multi- like they scraped a point from the bottom of the bucket. And no, they did not like, do that it- on track. They did that only after both Alfa Romeos were disqualified for technical infringements. Should note, heading into that race, they did not have any finish in the top 13. This was depressing. Yeah, they they came in when the car did appear. It was visibly primitive compared to every other car. It was, it was reliable. Ill- it was illegal. It was reliable at least, but... <laughs> no, no, even better, it was illegal due to some front suspension design issues. Mm. Oh, God, I forgot that. That's why they didn't run. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. They had illegal mirrors, which they had to bin. And this is all with a Mercedes engine in the back. They barely um, even scraped into 107% in Australia. And they were visibly on average about a second and a half a lap slower than pretty much everybody else they looked like the minnow teams from 2010 at times where they just look slower than them yeah and with relative to the if if not the best engine equal best or only slightly behind ferraris so that just gives you that car was fundamentally balls right from the very start and it to be fair it was a little bit better as the year went on but yeah, I think they only yeah. were... I mean, Williams had manufacturing issues where they couldn't even get enough parts to upgrade the car for the races. I think they only upgraded the car three times all year. This is a team that's in serious trouble by the sounds of it. But I mean, like, while the team did improve in terms of lap times relative to the field as the year went on, they still, like... At no point in the year did they actually improve in terms of overtaking yeah, anyone. They started they just, off so far that no matter how many improvements they brought relative to their competition, 
They couldn't get anywhere close. Yeah, they were still averaging either a 16th or 17th place finish, regardless of anything they did. Yeah, Jason J- Jason made a very good point here as well. We just said in the Discord chat, remember when Kubica had to retire in Sochi to save parts on the car? Yeah. <laughs> and then the next race, Japan! When Kubica when, writes off the car in qualifying. It. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, between that, between a manhole cover coming up in Baku and sawing its way through the bottom of Russell's car. Jesus, I've completely forgotten about that. Uh, William, you know, George Russell was on pace to finish top 10 on track at Germany until they balls up the strategy. Yeah, and then repeatedly yeah. told him over the radio basically to shut up and drive while they were ruining his race. <laughs> the oh, only man. redeeming factor in all of this is that the car was reliable. And even reliability... Yeah couldn't really net them much this was tough to watch because i had to watch one of my favorite drivers and robert kubitsa get bled out for a agonizing 21 race season where he looked like a diminished shell of himself at times accident or not um and george russell getting no points for all the effort he did putting that team on his back it's just bad I distinctively yeah. remember his Hungarian quarterfinal situation where he very nearly got out of Q1. The closest they got merits. to getting out of Q1 all season. Yep, and it's the closest thing Robert had to a home race. Every time you think Williams can hit rock bottom, the floor falls out. And it can't, yeah. it can't get worse in here, can it? <sighs> the Not the company, because we know Williams as a company has other interests. They have other ways to support themselves. But now they all independent operate independent of the F1 team. Yeah, and like as much as Williams as much as Williams says that, they're a publicly traded company and their stock price has always reflected their performance on track. Where if they perform well, their stock price does well. If they start going downward, their stock price starts going down. So to say that they have outside interests doesn't matter. What I was getting to is that I feel like we're watching a Formula One team in its death throes right now. Yeah. And it not like only it. that, it like it. outright refusing support from Mercedes while you still have a metal gearbox casing, which has been outdated for years now. What yeah, the fuck are you doing? Probably, to me, that's the most frustrating part of this. They are performing badly. Outside, outside resources are saying, hey, we want to help you not perform badly anymore. And like, no, we're fine. Yeah. And it's it's not even this uh, this privateer pride shit because you know what teams have bought other teams gearboxes and drivetrain packages for years. Mm-hmm. Force India was using McLaren gearboxes a decade ago. Pretty much. Swallow your fucking pride and try to help your team. I have never gone this low for a team rating before. It's a one. There was nothing redeemable about Williams this yeah, season. Yeah, it's... Absolutely it, It's where not only are they doing badly, they're actively refusing to take steps to get better. Yeah, like, it is actually, to a degree, self-sabotage. I can't give them any resembling rating other than a 1. No, I'm the same. Alone. Yeah, the only the, redeeming the, the, factor all the, year for them was George yeah. Russell. Th- that's a push. There was nothing good out of this season. Yeah. Nothing. It was a good... They'd have done better if they didn't show up, quite frankly. This was an abysmal year. Yeah, they would, like, the only difference would be they would still be in the same place in Constructors, just with zero have, points instead of one yeah, if they if didn't, they didn't show, show up. up, they'd be missing one point on the year. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's a one for the team. George Russell gets a six for at least trying to put some pride back into the goddamn badge. And you know, he's he's outperformed Kubica the whole year. Kubica, I know, was not the Kubica we know and love from the late 2000s. But still, he he did shine on numerous occasions. I remember Austria, his, his qualifying session in Hungary was superb. Yeah, watching very him, unlucky not to get yeah, it. Yeah, watching him drive the car just beat that car around the track trying to get anything out of it. The kid is immensely talented. He does deserve better than what he's got it right was, now. It was shades of Alonzo and the Minardi at times. It was shades of it Jules at Marussia in his first year. Yeah. yeah. A six for me for George Russell, and I'm going to go four for Robert Kubica. I could have been harsher here, but the car was so bad it almost doesn't matter at this point. Like, Okay, so I, I'll agree with you. Williams as a team gets one, Russell six, Kibitza four. Same as me. Cam? Zero for the team. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm gonna... That's the comedy rating. No, I, I'm fully legit. I, it's so frustrating to watch a team not only be bad, but say to the best team in the sport who's offering you help, fuck you, we're going to do it ourselves. Fuck off, Williams. No, George, George Russell deserves one point. Yeah, That's no, fair. Yeah, George Russell, I'm going to give a seven because watching him drive the car, there was no more yeah, he fair. could have done with that piece of shit. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kubica, I'm going to give a four as well. Yeah. Um, I give Williams a one. I give George Russell a six and a half. Uh, sure. to split the difference. Robert Kubica, I feel like the takeaway from just seeing so many people dunk on Kubica for looking so bad is that it tells a story that if you ever have something you love taken away from you, don't bother trying to come back. Just quit while you're ahead. Robert Kubica gets a four. I'm ready to go jump in front of traffic now. Let's talk about Haas. Let's talk let's about talk about Let's talk about the team that started the season as Rich Energy Haas Formula 1. See. Who is oh, KSS Solo Rich Energy? <laughs> and now, not only that, started the season off looking pretty good. That did not last. Now, here's the, here's the numbers for you. Yeah, here's the numbers for you on this one. Beautifully renamed on here, Tesco Blue Spark Haas F1 team. Um, they scored 28 points for ninth in the Constructors' Championship. Magnussen having 20, Grosjean 8. Qualifying head-to-heads... Uh, 13 to 7 in favor of Kevin Magnussen. Race results. It says a lot that it's only 7 5, which means nine times last season, one of their two cars failed to make the flag, including Silverstone, where they took each other out. Some key stats Magnussen's ninth in Sochi was Hass's only points paying finish after the summer break. 15 of Haas's 28 points were scored in the first five rounds, and they scored 65 points less than they did last year. Grosjean scores the fewest points in the full season since 2014, where he had eight as well, and finishes with the lowest championship ranking in a full season. And K-Mag tied his worst championship ranking in a full season. Well, ties it as well, because he was 16th as well in 2016. Like, this seems like every Haas season we've seen so far only worse in every way. Uh, this was like, they start- this was easily their worst season in Formula 1. Comfortably. This was worse than a year where they only had one guy scoring points, and by the way, the team was entirely new, and their car was being built by somebody else. In preseason, 
which becomes a bit of a theme later on, Haas looked great. And in Australia, they qualified comfortably as best of the rest. Mm -hmm. And then the race happened. And Haas were horrible in the race. They had no race pace. They couldn't work the tires. The cars were unpredictable. And it only got worse. To be fair, Magnussen finished sixth. He was about a minute and a half off the pace. But still, and Grosjean was running up at the top ten until hashtag finger trouble. A Haas wheel came off in Albert Park for the second year in a row. And you're thinking... Because of course it did. Even then, Haas was... Haas was kind of thrown off. Their car wasn't responding the way it was in their simulations and in qualifying. You think when they finish 7th and 10th in Barcelona that they've got this turned around? And yeah, that was the bulk of their points in the first five races. They did the McLaren 2018 special. That car was so poorly developed that they had to revert to parts that they used at the start of the season towards the end of the season to get it to work again. Yeah. Grosjean was running a preseason floor in the final race in Abu Dhabi. Oh no, he was running an Abu Dhabi winter testing one from last year. Bruh. So almost a almost a year old. In a, a different set of aero regulations. Which makes you wonder why the hell they bother to build a new car to begin with. Yeah, um Haas had, just kept last year's Yeah, Haas's Haas had correlation issues that were almost unprecedented in the modern era. Where the car was was losing seconds with new parts, upgrades which were crippling the car. And add to that the fact that the car couldn't work its tires properly in the race. And you just get a disaster of a season. How, like, they started out... It was like the worst version of every Haas season. They started strong, because that's what Haas do. They always have a good car out of the box by the sounds of it. But they are so bad at developing their car over a calendar year. We've said this year on year. They start strong and they lose pace to the other midfield teams as the year goes on. This is the first time this has happened where usually it's just a lack of upgrades that hurts them on the course of the year. This year they had the upgrades and it made the car perceivably worse. And all this as they were going for a huge row with a title sponsor that embarrassed themselves every other 48 hours. Yeah, we haven't even gotten into... Well, we've gotten into the Rich Energy Saga more than enough times on this show. Yeah, we. everyone who listens to the show regularly knows what happened. Yeah, precisely. I'm not, we're not going to get into it too much here, but let's just say there was a bit of a smear campaign against the team from a certain bearded energy drink fraudster. Um, so, yeah, in, in, in enjoy that one, basically. So let's just say it was a stressful year for Haas, to say the least. Um, went fell from fifth in the constructors to ninth this year. And it, it didn't it was, also uh, help that, um, as you mentioned earlier, Roman and Kevin, you two uh, get along. Well, they got to get along because this might be their last shot come 2020 to really distinguish themselves. And for Romain especially, who turns 34 next year, as everybody is saying that he was extended one two year too long in his contract. Yeah. Well, he's known as he's known as a qualifying specialist, and he lost 13-7 to Magnussen this year. Yeah. That's not good. At the same time as well, when the two of them, similar to Williams, when the two of them are are experimenting with different specs of the car because they don't know what the fuck is going on with their aero program, doesn't help matters. But what really doesn't help matters is the two drivers hitting each other multiple times this year. I think they've got to figure it out at some point. 
Yeah, Grosjean is a bit woefully ignorant on track sometimes, and we all know K-Mag's probably the most aggressive guy out there um, when when in a pinch. It's not the best combination. They got a pass this year because the car was so bad. They will not get that luxury in the end of 2020. I am almost certain of that. For me, the team gets a three. They were undisputably terrible compared to last year. It's almost a back-to-square-one job for Haas all over again after how disastrous this year was for him, relatively speaking. K-Mag was the better driver. K-Mag gets a six. I think he was decent this year. Again, often brought the best out of a car that was, you know, changing race to race, different specs, was often the, the loser compared to Grosjean, who seemed to, at times to be getting better results with pre-season spec parts and setup which is just ludicrous that that's even a thing that's happened in an F1 team in the year of our Lord 2019 and Grosjean a 5 I think completely average if they had dropped him at the end of this season I wouldn't have been surprised or argued against it um, you know he's gotten a pass because like I said the car was bad and he, he was a big testing dummy for them this year running pre-season and, and Australia spec parts for half the season. Yeah, basically. and for everybody that says, well, why not just keep him on as a test driver? Test drivers don't get to test contemporary parts like they did back in the days where Michael Schumacher, Rubens Barrichello, and Luca Badwer could just pound around Fiorano for 12 hours a day for five days a week. Yeah, if, if you're not doing an FP1 session, you are probably just sending a simulator. And that doesn't help Haas when they don't build their own car. Delara builds their car. Haas gets, um, Haas gets a three and a half out of me um, as a team uh, for driving. Uh, Kevin Madison gets a six and Romain gets a five. Uh, I'd probably give Haas a four. Uh, Kevin Magnuson, yeah, same. Kevin Magnuson, six. Uh, Roman Crozon, five. They, oh, they're on track. Like, they had way too many run-ins on track. I'm, I'm going to give Haas a 2.8 to reflect their points total. <laughs> oh, very nice. Um, I'm going to agree on both drivers. Aggressively average is how I would <laughs> yes, refer to them. Aggressively average. Sounds about right, indeed. Moving on, Salfa Romalba, or Alfa Romeo, to give it its its, uh, its proper name. Eighth in the constructors' championship with fifty-seven points. Qualifying head to actually championship prize points-wise, Raikkonen had forty-three of those points. Giovinazzi fourteen. Head to head in qualifying, Kimi Raikkonen won that fight ten nine. Gio was surprisingly close over a lap. Um, ten nine on that one. But in race results, different story. 15-2, the swing in Raikkonen's favour on that one. Um, Raikkonen surpassed Alonso, Button, and Michael Schumacher for second in all time in races entered and can surpass Rubens Barrichello's record midway into 2020. Only 10 behind Rubens Barrichello on that all-time appearance. He's 322. And he took to years off. He took multiple he, years off. Yeah, he had a two-year sabbatical. Yeah, he did indeed. And Antonio Giovinazzi was the only non-BD5 driver, as he puts in inverted commas, to lead a race this year. He led for four laps in Singapore. His fifth-place finish was the best for a driver from Italy since the Japanese Grand Prix of 2009 when Yano Trilli finished second for hometown boys Toyota. So, this is an interesting team. 
because this was a team that had a lot of buzz regarding it going into this season because of to be fair a lot of that was down to just how spectacular Charles Leclerc was um Charles Leclerc pretty much single-handedly along with Frederick Vasseur and a whole bunch of Alfa Romeo cash brought Sauber as they were known back then from the break of death yeah, Sauber went from being a team in its death throes, about to take Honda engines back when Honda engines were not the engine to have, and gave them a very good year last year. This year, kind of an up and down year. Sometimes they were right in the mix for very good points. Other times they couldn't get out of Q1. And there seemed to be yeah, no real pattern was... to it. And the thing yeah. is, like, they scored, they scored nine more points than they did last year, but it didn't feel the same. Last year, you had Leclerc pulling that car to near best of the rest at a couple of times. Um, this year, the points were a little bit more spread out. Yeah, they're a little bit more spread out. Uh, people had very high expectations for the team, especially, you know, heading into testing. They had they had that really uh, dramatic, radical front wing design that people were talking about. Yeah, the, the outwash versus full front wing debate. Well, we'll get into that later with the top teams. <laughs> but uh, it doesn't help that it doesn't help that twenty two of their points came from Brazil. Yeah, and Brazil was a little crazy. Brazil was a little crazy. They had their cars DQ'd in Germany, which didn't help either. The team was sloppy at times. I think Giovinazzi, who did get a little better as the year went on, was sloppy at times too. I haven't forgotten Belgium with the final lap spin when he was running in the box. Oh, had a, he had a, had a gigantic off at Wuhan, didn't he? That was oh, yeah. him. Yeah, I, like, yeah. I, I think that a lot of that boils down to, well, you could also, you know, talk, add this to the Williams conversation where uh, it's hard being a rookie in, F, in F1 because... Race distance is a lot longer in F1 than it is in any other category. The next comparable race distance is the the hour-long feature in, in Formula 2, and that's mm. still dramatically shorter than a Formula 1 Grand Prix. For a driver who so, hadn't raced full-time in two years. Because yeah. when the car was good and capable of scoring points on a regular basis at the hands of Kimi Raikkonen, Giovinazzi was still trying to find his sea legs again. Then the cars uh, started to lose pace compared to everyone else, and only then was when that was when Antonio was starting to get the better of Raikkonen on some days. But uh, we mentioned that uh, he's sweating over the uh, the Prima 2020 lineup. Because he realizes that he might just be a stopgap option for whoever between Schumacher and Schwartzman wins out. Especially when this is truly now a full B team. Yeah, whether it be Schumacher, Schwartzman, Marcus Armstrong, like, there's literally a sea of people hunting yeah. for Especially when, you know, we don't know, you know, we don't know what, how long Kimmy's going to keep going at this. Well, he's got at least one more year, and the problem is Giovinazzi's 26 next week. Like... He's not a spring chicken anymore. That's not. Don't get me wrong. It's not his fault. He lost two years of his career, not racing full time, and he was a late bloomer anyway, relatively speaking, for a junior. Which is but fine. You're like, but it's fine. But RJ's absolutely right. He's absolutely on the chopping block, unless Raikkonen has a sudden retirement. But he's. But I don't see any rise, any reason for Kimi to do that. He's still competitive and solid, and was good in the champ. He was only a couple of points outside the top ten of the championship, and a car that finished in eighth. Raikkonen was pretty darn good this year. But th that's the thing. People are saying they might move him on, but there's no reason for them to move Kimi on right now. He's still a solid team leader. 
He's still fast. He's still competitive. He was in the points for, you know, nearly half the races this year. But, yeah, Gio's, Gio is, is, is shaky here because that's a very exciting Prima lineup. If Gio you know, has if, to show the same. He has to keep improving from where he was in the second half of this year. If he has another and it, and it year, yeah. if he has another year like this one where he was, frankly, he pretty poor for the first half, he's going to be on the chopping block. Yeah, he has to keep improving. Too. Yeah. Like, like, and hope that no Ferrari Academy driver wins the F2 championship. Oh, he's doomed. And has to he's move doomed up. if that yeah. happens. Kimi was very good. I think Gio, room for improvement. I think the team was okay, but again, like Haas, I think faded as the year went on. Couldn't keep up the fight with some of the better funded, more experienced teams as we know it. I'm going to say five for, for, for the team. I think six and a half, to, well, maybe seven actually for Kimi Raikkonen. Raikkonen had 43 points. That's a good season yep. in the Kairos. I think seven for Raikkonen is about right. Again, wasn't so good in the second half of the year, but still... I think that I think that's more down to the team than him, and I would say five for Giovinazzi. Um, not bad, but needs more. Like he, if he's half the guy we thought he was two or three years ago, seventeenth isn't going to cut it in the long run. Mm-hmm. I'm going a four on Salfa Ramaber. Um, I'm giving yeah. Raikkonen a seven. Okay. I'm giving Giovinazzi a five. Who a driver who really has to find the 2016 version of himself. The one that got that drive to begin with. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I'm going to agree with RJ. Four for Alfa Romeo, seven for Raikkonen. Because if it wasn't for Kimi, they would probably be a ninth in the Constructors, not eighth. That's a, good um, point. That's a very good point. And, uh, yeah, Gio, five. He, he didn't do anything blatantly bad. He just needs to improve. Puhon still sticks out in my mind pretty bad for Gio, mm. and, and 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 that was two easy points he had right there that he coughed up, which wasn't ideal. But uh, no, I can I, I can I can echo a lot of those sentiments there. Yeah, um, it's racing point. Wow, actually. just just completely oh. gloss over. <laughs> oh, sorry. Thanks. Yeah, can't be that matter. I'm gonna agree on the team. I think for all the expectations we had coming into the year, it didn't really meet much of them. Although, again, they did score more points than last year. The heights weren't as high, and the lows were certainly a lot lower. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to give Kimi a 7.5. I think he had a better year than I thought he was going to have. And Gio, I, I'm going to agree on a 5. He needs to keep improving. And I think he can. But he has to keep working at it because when you've got racing royalty and one of the hottest prospects in all of open-wheel motorsports... Just raring to get that seat. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got to continue. It's racing points, actually. They were next. Seventh in the Constructors with 73 points. Um, 52 of those were by Sergio Perez. 21 by Lance Stroll. In qualifying, Stroll got his ass kicked. 18-2 by Sergio Perez. Not much better in race trim either. 13-3 in favor of Checo. Um, on that one, Perez finished in the points for the last six consecutive races and eight of the last nine, and finished top ten in constructors for the sixth straight year. Drivers Championship—that's so, an error. Sorry, part. sorry. Yeah, no, thanks, man. Uh, and the team in general, also Lance Stroll in particular, gained a net forty positions off the grid, the most of any driver. In fact, second on that list 
was Sergio Perez. He had a net place gain of 30. <laughs> so the team gained 70 places off their start positions this year. Nearly, you know, nearly three and a half a race on average. Very impressive, I have to say. They're genuinely cool stats. However, this is also the least amount of points that uh, they have scored from their base in Northamptonshire in a season since 2013, where they had 77. Hey, that was that was Sahara Force India. This is Racing Point. <laughs> this is oh, Racing yeah. Point. Those were VJ's boys. These are Lawrence's boys now. These guys, I don't know, they might pay their taxes? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Okie dokie. So, Racing Point in general. Now... A pretty quiet year for Racing Point, all things considered. Um, no podiums out of nowhere. No. Lance Stroll, Lance Stroll was the best there for fourth yeah, in, in uh, Germany. Yeah. The thing is with Racing Point is, as a result of literally dying as a Formula One team last year and being purchased and rebranded as Racing Point, the first half of the year was more or less run with an interim car. Not the first time this has happened for the artist formerly known as Jordan. Indeed. And... It's kind of a tale of two seasons. Like exactly. Sergio Perez, like Sergio Perez and the 2019 car. Once they had the 2019 car going, Perez was excellent. Like really, really good. Like, and that's what made like his infighting with Esteban Ocon the last couple of years so frustrating because Sergio Perez, when he's locked in, like he is, like check this out: sixth in Belgium, seventh in Monza, seventh in Russia, eighth in Suzuka, seventh in Mexico, tenth in USA, ninth in Brazil, seventh in Abu Dhabi. That's eight points finished in the last nine races. Perez was locked and loaded for bear. He is still one of the absolute best in Formula One when it comes to working his tires, and. When he's not crashing into people, his racecraft is also some of the best in the midfield. And though I, I should note that only time in the that only time during that streak he didn't finish in the points was in Singapore, where he had to ha- face a you know a grid a five place grid drop for a gearbox change. Yeah, he was in the points eight out of the last nine races. Yeah, as I said, tale yeah. of two seasons. Once Racing Point got their proper twenty nineteen car together, he was excellent. This, this also gets us to the curious issue in the room of Lance Strom. Man, learn to qualify. <laughs> if there was a salary award for the most bland driver in the current field right now, Lance Stroll might get the nomination. I've seen a pocket of people and fans talk to me like Lance Stroll is good. G- guys. The thing is, like, 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 Lance is pretty good on race day. He will always net you positions off the start when he doesn't slam Pierre Gasly off the road. And generally, his racecraft is pretty good. But because he qualifies so poorly, he gives himself more work to do on Sunday. It reminds me a lot of Alex Rins. Hmm. He's he's Alex Rins, but without the raw speed. He had that Hmm. moment in Germany where he damn near stole a podium. He led the race. Think about Austria and Azerbaijan, where he came from well deep in the field. Uh, to score points out of those. This was his best Canadian Grand Prix result ever, where he also had to come from way back in the field. Like, he's good at that, but he's so bad at qualifying. And and he didn't do much in the second half of the season as Perez was going off of the string of points finishes. I'm sorry, but I I was one of the people when, when everybody was trying to dunk on Lance Stroll for being bought a Formula 3 title and all of this other horseshit, I was going to, I was telling y'all, guys, the guy has got potential. 
But you have to realize that potential at the Formula One level once you're actually there. And I'm starting to worry that Lance Stroll won't do that. This is his third season in F1, and he is still pretty much the same guy he was when he was a rookie. I'd almost argue that he's regressed. Yeah, and I'm I'm really worried that he might just become complacent due to the circumstances of his team. Yeah, because he kind of, well, his family owns the team. You're not getting rid of him. Yes, yes. We all bow to Father Stroll in this instance, and... I'm worried that Lance is going to have better results next year, not because Lance is getting better. But because the car is getting better. Because Yeah, because the car is getting better with the investment into it. And even if the car is better, it's not a guarantee that they're going to move up from seventh in the constructors. Because and, he's yeah, got a, and he's got a big gap to get to the yardstick out there in Checo in the first place. Checo outpointed him two and a half to one this year. Especially next year, when- Checo's going to make 200 starts if he sees out the full season. That feels really weird. Checo will be turning 30 next year. It feels really weird. Checo who debuted, I think, what, in 2011 is going to be in the 200 club? Good God. The guy who used to be giving the works Ferraris and McLarens fits? Jesus. The guy who drove yeah, him? That's crazy. The guy who drove for McLaren that one year that we don't talk about? Yeah. Um, I'm going to say six for the team because the first half of the year was a vast gaping chasm for him but they were very strong towards the end of the year they were giving the Renaults and, and McLaren something to think about um, in in the second half of the year with Checo who did very well in the second half of the year as good as anybody in that top 10 block around him in the second half of the year so I would say seven for Sergio Perez as well and I would say Five again for Lance Stroll. Lance Stroll needs more, and that second half of the year, by comparison, was unacceptable for a, for a guy of his standard and a, a guy who we know can do better than this. And and King made a very good point in that he you might get complacent because, like he said, his seat is is, is safe. Daddy's not going to sack his own son, so you know Lance has got a safe seat, and that might be part of the problem. Yeah, like adding on, like. I'm going to give Force India six as well. You know, the season of two halves. Force India. Really, wow. Racing Point, sorry. <laughs> going to wow. give Racing Point a six out of ten. It, re- it really was a season of two halves. It's good on them for making sure that they had a strong second half because it could have played out a whole lot differently. Mm. Uh, I'm going to give Lance a four. Like, wow. Re- like, he really needs to improve. I'm sorry. Like, I I don't want Racing Point to become a laughing stock because they have to employ a driver who's below the level of the team. Mm. Uh, Sergio Perez, uh, you know, give him an, giving him a six. Really, mm. re- really performing well for the equipment he's given. He pretty much delivers what his team needs on the day, and Racing Point really can't act for much more at this point because they're not in they're not in a situation where they can get podiums. Interesting, RJ. Um, I give the team a six. I think that's pretty agreeable. Wow, we are we are one uh we're one shocking <laughs> hive mind. Um, Perez, uh, for me gets gets a seven. And I'll split the difference between Dre and King. I think Stroll gets a four and a half. 
Lance Stroll was starting to regress and it's worrying me because I felt like this is a driver who on his day could be the Nets Canadian world champion and it worries me that he's starting to become complacent. I, uh, I'm going to give the team a six as well. Um, really the season of two halves, as you said, first half, they were kind of helpless. Second half, they got what was available to them. I'm actually going to give Perez an eight because I think when he had the equipment to fight, he put on a hell of a show in the second half of the year. And that Abu Dhabi overtake was just, mm, just fantastic. <laughs> Stroll, mm. I'm going to give a four. This is the guy who got a podium, who probably got Williams' last podium in 2017. In 20, I, you could have just yeah. ended it with podium. Yeah, back, well, well Jesus. A, time, a timeline for him as a driver. Less Williams as a team. Can you tell uh, Williams had a bad year? But And this is the guy who put said Williams on the front row at one race. And yet he's cleanly the worst qualifier in the field. Mm. And even if he's doing well to make up for that on race day, you know, in the modern age of F1 and the filthy air spilling off of these cars, you don't need to be giving yourself more work to do on race day. It's absolutely critical on that point. No, all solid points indeed. Into team number six. Well, actually, no, what? We're going to skip them, actually, because we'll get back to them later. Good point. I've actually forgot. I actually missed that point. Let's go up to the, the fifth place finishes, Renault. Yeah, let's go right now. Let's go right King, now. Do, King, do you need to uh, get out of the room for a couple minutes? Oh, my Lord. Yes. Remember at the start of the year? I would, I'd say to eat a dozen bananas if they won a race. Guess what? Not only no wins, no podiums. Only one top four finish. What the hell? In hindsight, they probably should have been thrown out for most of this year. Um, let's Somebody get Kings of Potassium. <laughs> Renault, Renault for me. Renault are the biggest disappointment of the year. And yes, more, more than the red disaster sitting off in the corner. Right, so they were fifth in the constructors. They had eighty, they're ninety-one points. Ricardo had Danny Ricardo had fifty-four of them. Nico Hulkenberg had thirty-seven of them in qualifying. Ricardo beat Hulkenberg head-to-head fourteen-seven in races, ten to four in Daniel Ricardo's favor. We took out the uh, Japan result off the table for um. Obviously. We weren't the only ones who took that result off the table. <laughs> oh, no. Um, their, their steering wheel did, too. Danny Ricardo's lowest points tally since 2013, and first season without a podium since 2013, but retains a top 10 championship result for the sixth straight year. Hulkenberg finishes his career, question mark, with 179 races without a podium, a Formula 1 record, and the third most without a win. The only two with more, uh, Andrea DeCesaris and uh, Nick Heinfeld. Most importantly, um, Daniel Ricciardo got paid. It appears that all of the money that was meant to go into the car went into Daniel Ricciardo's bank account. Daniel Ricciardo getting that Matt Flynn money. The greatest heist ever made. So Renault, uh, yeah. Renault were Renault were a fucking mess. 
Um, their comeback, which has been fairly on schedule from 2016's fucking disaster. 2017, they got better. 2018, they got better. 2019. 2019, they had their eyes on the world championship. Well, um... Nowhere near. Nowhere near. <laughs> nowhere even close. The engine was bad. The car was bad. The engine was unreliable as shit earlier in the year. Um... The the mo- the moment for me of of the year for them is both cars blowing their engines to smithereens within a couple corners of each other in Bahrain within seconds of each other within seconds. Hulkenberg's car has a massive bottom end failure, it blows all over the road, and Ricardo I think had a uh, an energy store failure. Ironically, like he did in twenty 20- shuts exactly down. like he did in Bahrain twenty eighteen, also with Renault power. Half of their first eight cars resulted in technical DNFs the first four rounds of the year. This team was a mess. We do need to talk about probably the black mark on their entire season. Probably. What do you mean probably? Um, gonna be gonna like go to the Wikipedia page for the season, edit it, put an asterisk next to the ninety-one because guess what? Found out Reno's been cheating for not only this year but the past couple years. Since- 2015's Belgian Grand Prix. Yes, that one, when they were still Lotus Mercedes and Romain Grosjean shithoused the podium at Sebastian Vettel's expense. The car has been illegal since then. Though, there's only enough conclusive evidence to disqualify him from the race where the penalty was filed this year. Oh no, there's conclusive evidence to toss him from the entire year. It's just that no team has pursued it. True. Because Renault claimed there's no conclusive video evidence would be the slam dunk. You're Excuse out of me? For the year penalty. You want to tell me about that video for preseason testing? That shows the break. Okay, so for those of you who do not know, Renault had implemented in their car a driving aid, which is illegal, that um, yes. would change the brake bias without driver input. And while the system yes, itself... Yes, Renault dispute that claim, because technically it's it's a macro. You have to pre-input the, the settings yourself, then it doesn't automatically later on. But I say it's well, the driver. Well, yes, the driver isn't doing it. And <laughs> yes. um, the, um, the system <laughs> did not contravene the technical regulations, but it was a slam-dunk sporting regulation breach. So, they were tossed from the Japanese Grand Prix. It's amazing that no team decided, mm, we want your mo- prize money, and toss them the entire Constructors' yeah. Championship. I'm stunned. No, I'm stunned Toro didn't put in a claim and give them any finish six yeah. points behind him. And, uh, and not only that, when they took the system off the car, it got better. Coinciding <laughs> for the car actually getting better in the second half of the season. Da- Daniel Ricciardo was... You know, like Daniel Ricciardo and Hulkenberg were actually better. Ricciardo had eighth, sixth, and sixth in the three races directly following the Japan disqualification. Uh, before anything, that, he had like, it's in, funny. in the five races before that, he had a retirement, a fourteenth, a fourteenth, a fourth, because the car was only actually good at high speed tracks. Weird for a Renault, I know. Yep. A fourteenth and then a retirement. And Ricciardo was. Was was his usual self. If anything, 
I'm, I'm going to take half a point off Ricardo as well because some of his dive bombs were on were a little bit too much this time around this year. As it turns out, when you don't have a Red Bull chassis to help out your, um, your braking, you tend to crash into people. And as it turns out, Renault does not equip all of its vehicles with convenient backup cameras. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, no, Ricardo no. tried a mega dive bomb on what uh, was it, Albon or Kafia? It was Kafia. It ended with it, it was Kafia ending up backing up into Daniel Kafia after they both went off in a corner. Yeah, they both went off, no harm, no foul, and then Ricardo just backed into Kafia and wrecked both their cars. Oh, where do you even like? Okay. For a manufacturer team, for a big budget manufacturer team with a fantastic driver lineup, make no mistake, Hulkenberg and Ricardo is a great lineup. This year was nothing short of a disaster. Yeah, the the year year three of the five year plan has been one of the worst years of this five year plan. I'd argue it's it's their worst year as an actual, you know, a proper constructor, because in twenty sixteen it was the 2015 Lotus with the Renault engine hacked into the back of it. It was an objectively terrible year for the team. Um, I'm going to give Renault a 2 out of 10 as a team. There is a two-point deduction for their embarrassment of the disqualification of Japan and their car, the fact their car was most likely illegal for the entire first 17 rounds of this season. Um, combine that with a season where they regressed for their resources and throwing 20 million quid a year at Daniel Ricciardo for the team to only be worse is and to barely in-, in hindsight not really outperform Hulkenberg by very much at all it was a it was an it was an average driving year like basically exaggerated by a team that was a disaster from top to bottom it is a 2 for Renault it is a 6 for Daniel Ricciardo who i think was okay like he was good, but given the car he had and and the ability that we think Daniel Ricciardo has as a quote unquote top five guy, to be barely better than the established Sergio Perez and Lando Norris was only five points behind him this season as a nineteen year old rookie. This is that is not what you pay a guy twenty million a year. Oh, for. And that's what the McLaren spending half the year on fire. More than them on, in a minute. More on <laughs> yeah. them in a minute. Thanks, Reno. You're the best. <laughs> I'm going to say, as a side note, why do all of you people pretend to care about Nico Hulkenberg now he's leaving the sport? Where were all of you before? Everyone out here was telling me... Oh, no, they were were there. They thought he was never going to go away. No, everybody out here was telling me how painfully mediocre he was and how he was taking a seat away for somebody else. And, you know, this... Like, these, these guys gave him driver of the day in Abu Dhabi. And I'm like... Where the fuck were all of you when he got tossed out of that seat for Esteban Ocon? Where were all of these guys in 2015 when he legitimately had a claim to a top-tier seat when he slaughtered Sergio Perez? Where were when, you guys in 2013 when, when, when he dragged that Sauber up the field? Yeah, yeah in 2013 when he was beating the shit out of Lewis Hamilton in a fucking Sauber. Yeah. Hulkenberg is... I've always said it before. I've said it before. Hulkenberg is a guy who is mm-hmm. a little bit better than his harshest critics say he is, but not as good as many people wanted him to be. And it's actually a little bit sad about Hulkenberg's career. And not to mention the fact that he is a pro-grid girl, anti-Halo idiot half the time as well. I have no mercy. Goodbye, Nico Hulkenberg. Remember, I don't drive pink cars. (laughs) 
horribly insecure, hey, like anti-Halo, pro-grid girl, 32-year-old frat boy who will not be missed. Um, 6 out of 10, which is the story of Nico Hulkenberg's career. Off you go. Next. Okay. Same as Dre. Giving Reno a 2 out of 10. Like, how, how much Jesus. did that pain you? <laughs> Not at all. He didn't, he didn't overdose on potassium out of it. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm glad about that. Uh, yeah, the fact that year three of this five-year plan could have been the last year of this five-year plan because, you know, the whole F1 team thing is still on Reno corporate, on, on corporate's, you know, review list because they might still pull the plug. We might not even get to year five of the five-year plan. Yeah, well, Jesus. I mean, when they've stuck with this engine concept since 2014, is someone going to tell them that it's not working? Oh, uh, yeah, and it's like Hulkenberg... Six out of ten, bro. Like, sleeve, please. Uh, Ricardo, seven out of ten. Like, could have, could have had an eight out of ten year, but, dude, you're trying way too hard. You're not in a Red Bull anymore. I'm sorry. RJ? For me, the team gets... I'm going to be nicer to Renault and give them give them a, a stunning three out of ten because <laughs> I'm oh, wow. still going to score them below the baseline because this is a team that is spending money like a factory that should be winning races as it did in the mid-2000s. And you're getting beat by your constructor team that everybody expected to be bottom of the barrel at the start of the season. You have given Daniel Ricardo all this money. Yes, Daniel Ricardo is getting paid. I think Daniel Ricardo wants to win and is starting to regret this move. Don't you waste his potential in 20, and don't you dare waste Esteban Ocon's potential along with that. He's too busy trading in half his helmet, so why? Uh, Ricardo gets a uh, gets 7 out of 10, and Nico Hulkenberg, um, for our regular car reviews fans who listen to Motorsport 101, the Honda S2000 of Formula 1 drivers this decade, so much potential, and only a fraction of it realized. Not often his own fault. But by the end, uh, I think it was time for him to move on to whatever the hell it is he's going to do in 2020. Sits in a tad since fair. I'm going to be Meh. I'm going to be the mean Meh. one out of everyone. For as much resource as this team has versus the teams around them, one out of ten for the team. This Good is fuck. This is fucking unacceptable for a manufacturer entry. To get Bruh. to get blown, they got blown out of the water by their customer team, who, as you mentioned, were horrible last year, mm-hmm. and do not. Ha- McLaren's a big team; they do not have the resources that Renault has at their disposal. Um, McLaren humiliated them this year. Yeah, McLaren humiliated them on all fronts. Daniel Ricciardo, five out of ten. He is so much better. Yikes. He's so much better than what he displayed this year. He had a bunch of reckless races. You don't have the brakes you did on the Red Bull, pal. Stop trying to dive it in from 50 feet back. Uh, Nico Hulkenberg, 5 out of 10. For the driver who destroyed Carlos Sainz last year, didn't show the same speed this year. And uh, unfortunately, I think the thing that really did Hulkenberg's career in is he bet on the wrong manufacturer. Yeah, because um, just to tie a bow on that, you remember back in 2017, he had that uh, Renault contract locked up, and then another factory seat became available. 
A silver painted one. Someone decided to become, yeah. One driver decided to go home and become a family man. Oh, what could have been, but sadly, it's not to be. <sighs> yep. And uh, I think that is the story of Renault in this entire era is both as an engine manufacturer, as a team. For all the resources they spend and the shit they talk, they are always the wrong ones to bet on. No, oh, at least dead. we get to talk about a good team next. The McLaren F1 team Papaya Boys. Papaya Boys! Fourth in the Constructors' Championship, 145 points, 96 of them by Carlos Sainz Jr., Lando Norris with 52. Dead even in the qualifying head-to-head, 10-10 between the pair of them. Signs beating Norris 8-4 in races they both finished, which again is actually quite alarming. They had at least one DNF in 9 out of the 21 races on the on the table. That is going to be an issue for them, we'll get into later. Key stats! McLaren scored 83 points more than last season and 115 more points from 2017 as well. The highest sustained climb over two seasons. Very John Boys there, RJ. Well played. Uh, Signs is 96 points in the season that are most of a McLaren driver since Jensen Button in 2014, and more than the cumulative points of McLaren in 2017 and 18 combined. His best championship result and most points in a season. Lando Norris led all non-BD6 drivers in Q3 appearances with 14. Third youngest starter and point scorer in F1 history behind Max Verstappen and Lance Stroll. What a shot who, in the arse. Who, Man, the start of the Andreas era is yeah, looking Andreas bright. Seidel coming in from my boys, the now deceased Porsche LMP1 team. Well, he gave McLaren a hell of a kick. He gave him a kick up the backside now, didn't he? Um, Mc- who expected this at the start of the season? Nobody. After a season we- where McLaren had their eyes very much opened and, geez, a technical and staff purge worthy of Ferrari. Um, yeah. Great car. Great drivers. Soon to be McLaren Mercedes because <laughs> that's the kind of move. That's the yeah. kind of oh, God, move. Scary. Yeah, that, that is the kind of move. Andrew, yeah, when I when everyone was wasn't sure about this Andreas Seidel guy, I'm like, he did a pretty good job with Porsche at uh, Le Mans, and he's continuing yeah, to do a great thing. job. That's the thing. Like when I when I saw this hire, it's just like, well, if he can't turn this team around, and I know he doesn't come from an F1 background. I don't know who the hell else is. Oh, he did have an F1 even background. Saying that they were. Barely BMW Sauber. Oh, uh, yes. Oh. Fair point. But he, he went on to better things after that. And, yeah, for a team that people were expecting, maybe they might finish eighth. Who knows? But they surpassed that by a lot. They soundly outperformed the team from which they buy their power units. They were... They beat the customer team. They were... In 2018, by the end of the year... They were getting beaten by Williams at times. What a turnaround. And and they scored a podium. They scored a podium. Carlos Sainz Jr., my driver of the year, drove out of his skin (laughs) all year. Some... I laughed at people that suggested to me that McLaren would have a car on the podium this year. I thought they were talking out of their wazoos, and Carlos Sainz pulled that one out of the fire with... To be fair, remember be fair. that was not only a podium; that was a podium from twentieth on the grid. Yeah. In fairness, <laughs> Lewis Hamilton did throw him the trophy, but you yeah, got to be did. in the position he to capitalize. Boy, 
And so many times this year when, you know, you wouldn't expect this out of this team, especially in a rebuilding phase. And when McLaren themselves are saying, yeah, this car still has a bunch of issues. We're going to change some stuff for next year. Yeah, honestly, Zach Brown taking a step back from this team might have been the best thing to happen to it because Andreas has done an incredible f- job. Firing Tim Goss was the best move this team had made. Oh. <laughs> oh, how God. he this how team... he remained as chief designer for as many years as he did, I will never know. And going forward, they got James. But they I got mean, James like... Key for next year's car. God, but I mean, like we we talk about you know how unlikely it seemed that they would get this podium and how how they eventually got the podium. They lived in that part of the field. They were either 6th through 4th most of the year, you know, other times 7th, 8th. They pretty much lived in the points most of the thing. They really weren't much of a midfield team. They kind of existed in this chasm between, you know, the big three and the midfield teams behind them. That's the problem. We talked about this with Racing Point a couple of years ago there is the, the mountain is only so high that the leap to get into the big three is now absolutely enormous and there was races where mclaren was knocking on red bull's door early in the year yep and we we know by mclaren's you know recent past in the previous mclaren mercedes era and the fact that they have a mercedes contract coming up that they have the resources to cross that chasm. And they sure they as hell have the drivers. And oh, I didn't even mention, yeah. Lando Norris. Super. Rookie of the year. Yep. Rookie of the year, number one with a bullet in Formula One. His performances <laughs> were consistent. Yes, he, at times, he wasn't able to catch up to Carlos Sainz in terms of race crap, but can you blame him? Carlos Sainz redeemed himself after what looked like a shaky 2018 that would have left him as damaged mm. good. I remember after the first qualifying after the session that that McLaren fans that I was friends with were willing to write off Carlos Sainz right after that Australian Grand Prix weekend. That was foolish on your part. Yeah, although Absolutely. that did that Australian Grand Prix weekend did kind of show something. Um, McLaren has to improve their reliability and they have to improve their trackside operation because they, even as they were clearly best of the rest, they lost a whole lot of points to unreliability. Thanks, Renault. And they lost a whole lot of points to finger trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. sloppiness yep. in the pits didn't help them. You know, a couple of driver errors here and there, but the reliability wasn't great, which is why the team rating is only an eight. But it is still a market improvement. The best, the most improved team of the year without any shadow of a doubt. And on a personal level, McLaren are fun and likable again. Like, this hasn't happened in 15, 20 years. Like, the, the incredible nature of their team is now, they're now fun and energetic and refreshing. And Lando and Norris and Carlos Sainz have been a shot in the arm, not just for McLaren, but for Formula One in general. They have now turned themselves... There was a time in- when McLaren was the most sterile, boring team you could imagine. And, and now they're <laughs> literally the most fun and enjoyable team to watch in Formula One. And that is a miracle. Yeah, and they're fun and enjoyable while also, you know, doing a great job and being competitive. Yeah, they're still a bit sloppy and rough around the edges, but I'm sure that will get better in time. And eight out of ten for the team. Now, I'm going to do something here that I've only ever done once before in Ooh. these two season reviews on this show. Hit him with it. it Hit him with that it Sean Spears. A- 
It is a 10 out of 10 for Woo! Carlos Sainz Jr. He is my driver of the year for 2019. He has been sensational. This is how you lead a team, everybody. You lead from the front, top sixes, top fives, a well-deserved podium and arguably the individual driver of the year in Brazil to get that podium finish in Brazil. Um... A note to the other famous Spaniard, this is how you lead a Formula 1 team. And that's what I was going to touch on as well. The per, as a personality, Carlos Sainz is, is fantastic. He is a great guy. He is a great team leader. He's fantastic on track. He's 25 now. He's still well matured. but He's, he's already a veteran of the sport now, 100 races under his belt. But he's still getting better more consistent and he's spearheading this team up the field and I really hope he can drag it to something where he can actually challenge the big three on a more frequent basis he is a fantastic goddamn driver I... he is that he is the guy that should be breaching the top six and I've said this we've said this now yeah, I think, I... between us well, three of the last four years uh, what, what yeah. I'll say yeah. as well <laughs> yeah. had uh, had Red Bull not basically just ignored the fracturing of his professional relationship with Max Verstappen, yeah. he should be sitting alongside Max Verstappen in a factory Honda yeah. Red Bull. Yeah, he is going to be right the guy now. that got to win. Yeah, but Red what Bull's a gift loss it was for McLaren. McLaren's gain. Formula I mean, One. Not gain. only Red Bull's loss, but Renault's loss. Like again, it, it seems it's seeming like that weird three-way trade. McLaren came out the uh, one of the and especially best. when last year time, Nico yeah. Hulkenberg made Carlos Sainz look average. If anything, yes. I think yeah. Renault was just dragging Carlos Sainz down. Yeah, it, it yes. was. Carlos is my driver of the year. A perfect 10 out of 10 for me. Lando Norris gets an 8. Rookie of the year as far as I'm concerned. Great performances. Consistent. Didn't put very many mistakes wrong on track. Didn't have a reliable car at times. He had a, he had a string of some really wretched luck in the middle of the year, if I remember correctly. It's broken. Um, it's broken. But- but uh, <laughs> Lando is again another easy guy to root for. He gets it. He's incredibly self-aware, and he was a 19-year-old rookie who was able to mix it up with experienced, very good veteran runners like Daniel Ricciardo, Checo, Kimi Raikkonen. He belonged in that group of people on his own outright. Was very strong all the way through the year. This kid is the future. Eight out of ten. Dre's rookie of the year. Team gets at eight, like I mentioned earlier. I'm going to um, agree what, with all of Dre's points. McLaren, for me, McLaren gets a nine out of ten, considering how as well uh, there was all that mess on the Indianapolis side of their backyard. <coughs> More on um, that next week. <laughs> um, Carlos Sainz, virtually flawless. Ten out of ten driver. Yep, got got to agree with the rest of them. Uh, you know, eight... Eight for McLaren, eight for Lando, ten for Carlos Sainz. Yeah, I was about to say Se- for the second for the second time, Carlos Sainz Jr. is my driver of the year. Yeah, <sighs> um, amazing. I'm gonna give McLaren a nine out of ten. Consider that this car has a boat anchor in the back of it that tends mm. to explode quite often. It's a very good point. Um, Carlos Sainz, ten out of ten, driver of the year. I think he's gonna be. I think he's gonna be giving helmet Marco. A lot of thought ahead once the Mercedes engine gets plopped in the back of that car. 
God, I fear 2021. Oh, when that car could be a I juggernaut. Uh, and uh, Lando Norris, we're going to give him a nine. I think wow. uh, a little rough in a couple places, but my biggest th- takeaway from him is that for a rookie and for as young as he is, he has fantastic racecraft. He He's able to get an overtake done without barging people off the road. <laughs> and uh, very quick in qualifying. She's ridiculously quick in qualifying. Very yeah. quick in the race. Super fast. And as you said, unlucky at a couple points. I think he has a very bright future ahead of him. I think I'm right in saying this is the first time ever a driver's got four perfect tens on this show. Did Lewis get perfect tens last year? I wasn't around for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like unless all like all four of us when it was us and Johnson and gave Lewis tens. I don't, I don't think, think so. so. I don't think. I don't, I don't think. Please, we did last year if anybody uh, just listens back to us, just listen back to last year's season review and tell us in the mentions. Yeah, because I, <laughs> I, I honestly think one of us gave him a nine point five last year, and I can't remember. But it's the first perfect score. I think I've ever seen for a driver on a season review, which says a lot about the state of uh, of, uh, of uh, Carlos Sainz and just how brilliant a season he was. It's the first time I think I can remember keep, keep that everybody got a Carlos. Score. Keep doing your thing. Yeah, he's, he's going to be too good to ignore. Um, Jason's saying that we gave we all gave Hamilton ten last year, which again is completely understandable. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, again. Carlos Sainz Jr. is still in very exclusive company. Very, very. When your company, like, okay, when your company him, is it's six him and the time ba- Formula One world champion, <laughs> you're a pretty good company. The, the only guy in this, yeah, the only guy in the same ball club as him is a is the best F1 driver of the last twenty years. Okay, like not bad. Okay. <laughs> We move on to RJ's looted Red Bull Racing's Island of Verstappen sidekicks. Yikes. I put them all here because um, because one of these drivers started the year as Max Verstappen's teammate. He didn't finish the year as Verstappen's teammate. One of them started the year as teammate to Daniel Kvyat at Toro Rosso. He did not finish the year as Daniel Kvyat's teammate at Toro Rosso. And then as a control in this experience, we put Daniel Kvyat here in this bundle just to see how they all kind of measured up indeed um so here we will here's how we split it up pierre gasly had 95 points in the championship 59 at red bull 36 at toro rosso alex albon had 92 points he had 16 at toro rosso and then 76 in the nine races he was at red bull Daniel kvyat had 37 points all of them at toro rosso because obviously he, that was his team for the whole season in the first half of the season, qualifying head to head, Verstappen beat Gasly 11 to 1, and then Albon beat Kvyat 6 5. In the second half, once they swapped teams, Verstappen went flawless 7 0 against Alex Albon, and then Gasly actually beat Kvyat 6 2 once he came back. Funny that. Races wise, the first half of the year, Verstappen beat Gasly 10 to 1, Kvyat beat Albon 6 3 at Toro Rosso. In the second half, Verstappen beat Albon 5-2, and then Gasly and Kvyat fairly evenly matched 4-3. 
Kvyat scored Toro Rosso's first podium since the Italian Grand Prix of 2008. It's never mentioned on this show. Gasly scored their second podium since since that very same race. Thanks to that, Toro Rosso secured the most points ever in the current structure, beating their personal best of 67 in 2015 and tied their best ever constructors' result. They also were sixth in that magical year of 2008, gaining 52 points compared to last year. Despite the mid-season upheaval, Red Bull only scored two less points than in 2018 and 49 more than 2017, but for the first time since 2008, only one driver scored all their podium finishes. Of course, Max Verstappen, and we'll get to him later. Though, do have to mention that isn't... Due to any lack of trying from Alex Albon's part and the fact that pretty much besides Albon... All, like, the three other Red Bull-affiliated drivers got podiums this year. It's a little weird to think about. It is very weird to think about. Where do you even start with this one? Because, like, it's hard to even evaluate these guys as teams. Because Torosa was so disjointed and it wasn't really any fault of their own. Because they, they, their drivers were pawns in Red Bull's big game here. Mm-hmm. Where so they had one constant. They, they had one constant, that was yeah. Daniel Kafiat. Who was not constant because he was all over the place this year. Yeah, he was solid at times, had the brilliant third in Germany. You know, we were talking about Kvyat and the redemption train, and he kind of brought the old Kvyat back towards the end of last year. Yeah, Kvyat, Kvyat, when he was great, he was as good as he's ever been. And when he was bad, he was as bad as he's ever been. He proved the haters and the doubters. (laughs) Right at times, wrong at times. Though, like, even with the chaos, like, just either on track or, you know, with the seats, you could you could arguably say that this is Tarasso's best year. Oh, oh I would and absolutely yes, say. I am even including that absolutely. year with the Sebastian. I'd say overall this is their best year. Yeah, no doubt about it. Two podium finishes in there as well. They were brilliant. One of which involved out-dragging a Mercedes in a straight line. <laughs> yeah, for Ow! those of you who haven't been watching Formula 1 over the last four years, ever since uh, McLaren and Honda showed up with that turd of a 2015 car, uh, Honda figured out their engine program. Oh, yes, they did. Um, funny how, you know, having a partner is actually willing to develop the car and the engine together, McLaren, um, worked out pretty well. Honda still need to work on the reliability a bit, but in terms of horsepower... Yeah, it's not quite there In yet. terms of horsepower... Red Bull did suffer for this. Y- yeah, Red Bull wasn't too bad on the reliability. Toro so I'd say, was worse. Some of that was down to being guinea pigs for Red Bull, and that's another thing to throw into Toro so as well. They were mm. having to take more grid penalties so Honda could test more stuff. It was a weird year. I think at times they made the best of it, but there was other times where they just seemed to trip over their own dicks. Yeah, that that's a that's a good way of summing it up. And I mean, I'll save my thoughts on Albon and Gasly for the Red Bull section. But you know, I'll go. We'll go with Pierre Gasly now. Pierre Gasly, again, another classic case of a tale of two seasons. The Red Bull switch clearly did not work. Um, he was disappointing. He just lacked confidence. You know, I think he had that beaten out of him by a combination of Verstappen, Dr. Marco, and Christian Horner basically lying to him in public. I had the vote um, of confidence. Yeah, and then seven days later he gets dropped, which, again, the classic Red Bull move at this point. But then 
he goes to Toro Rosso and he drives very, very well. A reminder of how good he was last year. When, you know, a guy that we gave eight, 8 out of 10 to last year was one of the better guys in the field and was a guy that we were, we were pinning for future success and a, a shout of being in the Red Bull car, which he did. So it's really hard to get a sense of Pierre Gasly's season. It's, it, is a, it is the real tale of two seasons with Gasly because if you go in by the first half of the year, he's a 3 or a 4 out of 10. If you go by the second half of the year, he's a 7 or an 8 out of 10. And Yeah, it, it, it's like he was a completely different person. Yeah. Unfortunately, it is, that's the symptom of going to a team where you are the number two and the whole team is built around the number one driver. And the whole car is built yeah. around the number one driver. And you're just kind of there to fill up the second seat because you're not allowed to just enter one car in F1. Even still, yeah. there were points, like, even going back to testing, like, so he has a big wreck in testing, so what? So he, ha- so he gets stuck behind Daniel Kvyat in the customer car, so what? But then as the season started to progress from there, Pierre just kind of looked, and, and I'm sure that, you know, clattering in the back of Albon didn't help things. By that point, he was basically just... Uh, Save for Silverstone, Red Bull's uh, that, there was really uh, two fastest si- lap test dummies. Yeah, there was two real big moments for him in the first half of the season. It was Baku, where he was running great until he had a mechanical problem. And then Silverstone, where he copied Max's setup and was keeping Max honest. And I believe that's the race where he beat Max, although Sebastian Vettel causing an airplane crash didn't exactly help. No. But uh, it's it, it really is a tale of two seasons, and I feel for Gasly because we know what Red Bull's about by now. If they could just enter mm. one car in this sport, they'd just enter Verstappen's car. They would. Pretty much. Pierre Gasly gets a five from me. I think he's down the middle is the fairest way of me playing this. He'd be a three for the first half of the year and a seven for the other. So I think five is about right. Daniel Kvyat. Uh, marginally better, I would say five and a half. He would have probably got a six and a half to a seven if it wasn't for the fact he did get sloppy with his racecraft towards the end of the year. Cota and Mexico being prime examples of that. Um, still shades of the old Kvyat that, you know, made some reckless moves at times, but the highs were very high with Kvyat, but the lows are often very low. And, uh, you know, I, I fear that if if Red Bull gets something nice out of their academy again in 2020, he'll be the sacrificial lamb yet again, which wouldn't be ideal at all. But again, that's Red Bull. It's for a good you. thing Red Bull to the VIPs lounge. It, it's a good thing that Red Bull has completely gutted their entire junior program. Then, indeed, um, team gets a six out of ten. You know, it was you know what that's a little harsh. Six and a half. I think that again. I think. They were good. This is probably their best season overall as a team from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, the drivers, I think, obviously the unsettling there probably didn't help, but Pierre Gasly getting him back was a great shot in the arm that the team needed towards the end of the year. And uh, I hope with a full year behind their drivers, they can stabilize again for next year. So I'd say six and a half out of ten for the team. Room for improvement, but still a undoubtedly good season from Toro Rosso. I'm, uh, pardon the pun, bullish on Toro Rosso. To me, the team overperformed <laughs> the sum of its parts. They get an 8 for their performance on the whole season. Uh, Kvyat wow. gets a okay. si- Kvyat and Gasly, I'd, I'd give them both a 6 uh, for their cumulative body of work. Because, yeah, I mean, 
we forget that Albon was still contributing to the team in the first half of the season and doing very well. We'll talk to him. We'll talk about yeah. it more in the Red Bull section, the actual Red Bull section. Yeah, I agree with RJ. I, I really have to give Tara Rosso an 8 out of 10. Like, I I wanted to talk myself into giving them a 7, but, like, no, this is their best year on record, uh, despite the circumstances, which is insane once you really put that into perspective. They had three drivers over the course of the year, still able to get two podiums. That's insanely well for this outfit. That's very true. Um, I'm going to give the team a seven and a half out of 10. I think considering the fact that they were literally Honda's guinea pigs for the year and having to take quite a few grid penalties and having horrible reliability in the middle of the year, um, and having three drivers, I think the team got really the best that they could have. That said, I think the two podiums definitely flatter them and the constructors because in Mm -hmm. the second half of the year overall, I think racing point was a whole lot better. Um, for the drivers, gonna give Gasly a five. Really not good at Red Bull. Really solid at Toro Rosso. And Kafiat, I'm also gonna give a five. When he was great, he was great. When he was bad, oh, he's, uh, he's, we've been saying this for how long about Kafiat? His heights are so high, but when he hits his lows, it's like there's no end to it. Uh, that's very fair at that point. Yeah, I, I totally hear you on that one. We're going to talk about Red Bull now and the, and the big boy team. And we've kind of brushed over, like, we haven't talked about Alex Albon so much. And Alex Albon is another curious case where he was okay at Torosso before he got, you know, put into um, the Red Bull seat. I mean, he was rather unspectacular the first half of the season. Um, Same for China. Oh, yeah, an airplane China. crash in China. Yeah, the, the lone highlight of that 1,000th Grand Prix, yeah. seeing Albon come back from that. Yeah, he had a gigantic crash. Yes. I can't remember if it was practice or qualifying. I think it was qualifying. And, um, qualifying Q1. Yeah, in Q1. And he tore through the field like he was in a Red Bull. Indeed, and uh, came through. Besides that, was okay, but not spectacular at all. Also, then got the Red Bull seat and was consistent, but... Again, I don't think he was particularly spectacular. I mean, it's easy to say he went from pit lane to P10 on occasions. Again, like he had to come from the back a couple of times in the second half of the year of Rebels. Also, Germany, when he but was he's also driving, driving a rocket in that instance. Mm. Doesn't help. Again, RJ mentioned Germany. That's another very good point. He was sixth that day in Germany. It was a it was a very solid drive from him there as well. Very good in the chaos. He was consistent, certainly in the Red Bull. He was the consistent, you know, four, five, six runner that Red Bull probably needed over the course of the year. But uh, I think the other thing with he Albon, was never re- he, he was he was never really close to Verstappen though. That was yeah, problem. that's the problem. Verstappen kicked both of his teammates up and down the street this year. Yeah. Um, at least on outright speed, we'll get to Verstappen because I got some shit to say. But uh, mm-hmm. he, in terms of outright speed, no one can match Verstappen in the Red Bull. As I said, when you got the whole team and the whole car built around one driver, that tends to happen. That said, with Albon, for a while, I, did he actually end up outpointing Max while they were together as teammates? I think the, I think he did. Yeah, because uh, it's close. It was close. Either way, it's close because you know what. Albon wasn't driving into the back of people. I think no, Albon wasn't. Albon improved a little bit in terms of speed by the end, where he was at least hanging on to the Mercs and Ferraris, whereas Gasly just he could barely keep ahead of the midfield runners. Mm. Qualifying gap fluctuated, where sometimes he was 
relatively close to Verstappen. Sometimes he was nowhere. You know what? But, the last three races of the season saved Verstappen in that battle with yeah, Albon. I think he because, did actually uh, outscore Albon due to those three podiums at the end of the season. Yeah, <laughs> and if anything, that says more about Ferrari than anything. More on them later. Mm. But uh, another thing with Albon, that boy can pass. Oh, he can. He really can. He's a bold passer. Absolutely. Bold like, without being was, stupid. Yeah. I think even like the dumbest move that he made in the triangle at Suzuka and Lando Norris, they were able to laugh it off because they were friends. Um, Albon had that killer instinct that Gasly lacked at times in that same car. Of course, what That's I worried point. yeah, and what I worried about when they threw him in was that he was in a position where he couldn't succeed. And at times, he genuinely did. A man who was supposed to have no shot at ever making it to Formula One about two years ago. Uh, now all of a sudden he's in a prime seat and he's got yeah. the potential. Yeah, he should have he, he should have spent the last year driving Nissan's FE car. Yeah, and instead he's in a car with a legitimate shot at wins in Formula One. And he almost had that. First yeah, podium he and let, let's be real, Brazil. he probably he should have a podium were it not for a wild Lewis Hamilton coming in and uh, spearing him. Didn't help. So. Again. So, Albon score... Red Bull has made this very hard. Helmut Marco has made scoring yeah. these guys very, very difficult. I mean, I mean, we've got to talk about Verstappen a little bit here as well, because Verstappen was... It, it's weird, because it's like he had his 2018 season in reverse. I wouldn't even we've go... Now gotten, we've now gotten into the biggest dick five, folks. Yes, the, the biggest yeah. dick five. I wouldn't even say Mike that, Verstappen Dre. 278 what, what I'd say with yeah. Verstappen is that he... He had the same season he did last year. He just wasn't doing it consecutively. He was spreading out, crashing into people like a moron. Indeed. And like I said, first half of the year, he was spectacular. Second half of the year, he was sloppy. But he recovered well at the end of the season. Um, Even that, like, in, in Bahrain, he used Carlos Sainz as a break. Yeah. In he Monaco, he drove into the back of Lewis when he wasn't going to win the race anyways because of a penalty. Yeah. And, uh... Oh my god, the fallout if he took out Lewis there in that race. Oh with boy. The... It would have been a nuclear win. Uh, I, I think Lewis Hamilton may have actually picked up Verstappen and thrown him into the sea. But, uh, I would have paid good money to see that. So would I. Um, Verstappen, Mans is fast. He is Super ridiculously fast. fast. Red Bull, who once again didn't quite get an arrow regulation change right, he was the only real force for that team in the first half of the season. And really even for the second half. He he single-handedly was the only guy who could bridge the gap to the Mercedes, even on a semi-regular basis, through sheer power of will. Yeah. <laughs> you know, barring that four or five race spurt where Ferrari didn't suck. Oh my god, the news that just dropped in the chat. We'll address that later. Um... It's... Go ahead. I actually, I need a moment to think about this. But let's. Yeah, yeah we need to finish. Oh my god! So, thank yeah, you it's not good. Side notes: FIA mandates OEMs for hypercar class. What? Oh, yes. No <laughs> privateers. It broke. It, it's broken. Cam. All right. What was he, I talking about with Verstappen? Oh uh, yeah. Back on track. Um, that he is. Ultimately, very quick, but he is still prone to yeah. making bonehead Ma- mistakes. Yeah, Max Verstappen is- has zero racecraft, because his racecraft involves, I'm going to crash into you, you better get out of the way. It worked for him in Austria, at the expense of another driver we'll talk about shortly. Yeah, um, 
you're not going to win championships when uh, you don't know how to balance risk and reward. That's my big fear with Verstappen. That is the one thing that's stopping me from saying he's a guaranteed future world champion. We've not seen him compete for a world title yet. He's not had the car capable of doing so. I fear that day may come in 2021. I think Merckx will bring him in in 2021 somehow. Probably replacing Valtteri. And then we'll see how good Max truly is. But... I also believe he is sloppy as a racecraft guy. I think he licks the taint of Ayrton Senna and channels him in the car to, to a reckless degree. On is that because occasions. of his passion? I do not think Mercedes will sign him while Lewis Hamilton is in that team. I disagree. I think that would cause a nuclear winter in that garage far worse than Rosberg and Hamilton ever have got. But, no, but Hamilton actually has genuine respect for Verstappen, though. That's the problem. That's why I disagree with you on that, Cam. I think Hamilton actually has Verstappen on a higher pantheon than Ross. Unt- until Verstappen does to Hamilton what he did to Ricardo, crashes him out of a race, and then, oh, God. Yeah, we'll see. But he is still ludicrously fast. That, that's um, kind of the thing with Verstappen. Yeah. He has all the talent in the world, but it's almost like he's in... Oh, God, yeah. It's like he's in the outright refusal to refine his racecraft because it's working so far he's getting results yeah but there's a couple of drivers who are not going to get out of the way and are going to let you have that crash on this grid and might i say if you win three races and you have no racecraft just imagine what he'd be like if he did <laughs> if he, he wouldn't cleaned up the edges off his game, he'd be unbeatable. If he I drove like he did in Brazil, exactly. yeah, it wouldn't be as exciting. It would that just be also, nothing but no- in Brazil. I honestly think Brazil was his best race in F one because he would he was in the wars all day and he did not pull anything egregious. He was super. He didn't pull. He was absolutely super. He, he didn't pull any egregious moves on anybody. He was aggressive, no, but he wasn't reckless. But he was inch perfect, and that's what he, that's that's the knife edge that Verstappen rides on, and that is going to either get him hurt or win him a world title. And I personally wouldn't want to be the guy to flip that coin. The team gets a f- six from me. I say six because it's the same old Red Bull we've seen for the last four years. They are okay. They they missed the mark on aero regulations, and their car is still exactly what it's been pretty much every year since the hybrid era began. It's good for three or four wins a year, but it is not good enough to challenge for a major championship. They're third, yet again, they spend 300 million a year on this car, and they are still no closer to winning a title than they were it's, in 2014. It's the same thing every year where they try to develop to the death of the season, and then they end up behind. Especially when this year, Mercedes got a free pass basically the whole second half of the year. Pretty much. So, they get a 6 from me. Verstappen gets 8.5. He is still a spectacular talent when he gets his head screwed on right. And to be fair, he did more often than he didn't this year. But the racecraft still gives me negligent doubts about his future. Um, And whether he can win a world title or not. But he is still so goddamn talented, it's ridiculous. Like, there is talent pouring out of him. If he can harness it in the right way... He, is, he will win multiple world championships. I have no doubt in my mind about that, at least. Alex Albon gets a six and a half. I think he was pretty good. I think he was. He had a couple of flashes. He was consistent, at least. 
I also think he was curb stomped by Verstappen and he wasn't particularly great against Kvyat either. So for that reason alone, I can't really give him much more of a score than that personally. I would give I would give Red Bull a seven. Same solid seven that they've always been in the post V eight era. Um I would give Verstappen I'd give Verstappen uh I think his highs more balance out the lows than anything. I'd give him an eight point five and I'd give Albon a seven point five because um pound for pound when he was at Toro Rosso, yes he didn't have the points back it up, but he was always charging through the field. He had that killer instinct for parts of the season, especially when he was at Toro Rosso. I thought he was the only person really who could challenge Lando Norris for rookie of the year. He'd still be second place in my heart of hearts. Only Norris being good from start to finish in a competitive car would beat him out for that. I hope he can start to improve for twenty twenty because Boy, Alex Albon is just a really likable dude. It'd be great to see him succeed. King? Yeah, I'm going to give Red Bull... Uh, I'm going to give Red Bull an 8. going to give Verstappen an 8. I'm going to give Albon a, a 9. I really, I'm really impressed by Alex Albon. Really? Yes, as someone who's literally thrown into the deep end midway through the year. That is a very good point. And I thought I was no. being bullish on Albon. No. <laughs> no, no, no. no. Is, this, is, this, King, know, is fair, this King's yearly uh, re- re- review, <laughs> no, that, review madness? That, you know what? King, King's going to make me change my score oh, no. more than extra point. I'm going up to 7.5 because that's one thing I didn't consider. James made a good point as well in the chat. He didn't test. Yeah, he didn't test the. He didn't test that car. He He, he didn't test any car. He didn't test the car at all because he didn't even know he was going to be in F1 until the last minute. Yeah, Yeah. he did. He gave up a seat at E Dams at E Dams Nissan. Yeah, he did, and he and to be fair, he got chucked in to the biggest test imaginable, riding a a top tier Formula One car as a. Half season old rookie, and he did very, very well. That's a very good point. I didn't take on. Carry on, King. Sorry. <sighs> no, that's it. I gave my scores, gave my reasoning behind them. Hmm. Cool. Red Bull's an interesting one. I'm gonna give the team. I'm gonna give the team a seven and a half. I think Red Bull needs to stop this shit of trying to develop the car to the end of the season every fucking year. Because it puts them on the back foot for the next season every fucking year. And the crash in preseason that trashed an entire B-spec of car didn't help. Thanks, Pierre. I think their partnership with Honda was better than I think anyone could have imagined. Considering Honda's record mm. going into the year. And drivers, I'm going to give Verstappen an 8 and a quarter out of 10. The raw talent, the raw talent is ridiculous. But the rough edges is just, there's too many. For someone, you know, regardless of age, he has a lot of experience in F1 now. He's year five. So he's, he's 100 races deep now. Yeah. Year five and his racecraft. If anything, I think his best racecraft regarding how he races other people was in his first year. You'd think. I, I honestly, time, I honestly think he was, he was the best around other drivers in the first two years. I think he's gotten more aggressive. for, And it's every move that he tries to make as a fate of the universe on the line dive bomb and albon albon i'm gonna give a seven and a half out of ten great rookie campaign um i think the potential is there 
I'm really curious to see how he gets on in next year's Red Bull because he'll actually have knowledge of the car going into it. Yeah, that's going to be certainly a name to watch for next year. Certainly. Okay, folks. Oh. The moment you will be waiting for. It's time for Dre and Cam's therapy session. Uh, King, you you just you want to go and have a beer in the back while we let them air it out. Negative, negative yeah, sixteen out of ten. Minus five stars. Badasses. Ferrari. Second in the constructors' championship. Five hundred and four points. Uh, Charles Leclerc, 269 of them. Nice. Sebastian is it nice, though? Is it nice? Vettel had a win, nine podiums, two poles, two fast laps, and 160 laps led. Lowest points total since 2016, lowest world driver's results since 2014. 11th straight season ranking in the top five of a world driver's championship. Leclerc had two wins, ten podiums, seven pole positions, four fastest laps, 246 laps led second youngest F1 pole winner in Bahrain first non-Mercs winner of the pole trophy yes Ferrari's first official F1 trophy win in 11 years not even joking youngest Ferrari driver to win a race um, beating Jackie Ix's record in 1968 and third youngest ever driver to win a Grand Prix behind Max Verstappen and Sebastian Vettel and the first Ferrari driver to win at Monza home round since 2010 where do we Where even do we start? start with this one? King, you got your uh, Motorsport you know, 101 awards think, nominees picked out. You know, I think <laughs> I think we start at the start. Pre-season testing. Ferrari looked great. The car was running like clockwork. It was it could go around corners. It was a bullet in a straight line. Vettel was singing its praises and then the front suspension exploded. And little did we know that that preseason crash would change everything. Yeah. yeah, to be fair, this is still a team that scored 500 points, won three races, took nine pole positions. It's a disappointment because all the talk was that this was finally the Mercedes beater, and now they had two genuine number one drivers one in the prime of his career, and another one who was the hottest prospect in F1 at the time. There is no way that this should have gone wrong. And after sacking a guy who was notoriously too hard on his staff in Maurizio Rivabene, they finally get a more level-headed guy in Mattia Bonato, and you're thinking, right, it's all going to come together. For any other team, teams like Haas, Toro Rosso, Renault would dream to have a season like this. Uh, Ferrari. Today, Mattia Bonotto said, we lost this championship when we designed our car. Why do yeah. you have a number one driver who likes a stable car with high downforce and good front end rotation and you build a fucking dragster? It didn't make any sense. They, they, do you know what it is? They had the preseason crash and they got spooked. Yeah, they got rumors. Spooked. Rumors have swirled around that 
Ferrari had to revert to last year's front suspension because they had a massive mechanical failure on the 2019 suspension. We don't know how much truth there is to that. We know that they had issues with some of their hydraulic suspension, which is one of the most trick parts on a modern F1 car. That's somewhere where if you can get it right, and the final team we'll talk about has definitely gotten it right, Ferrari's season peaked in preseason testing. It did. They never got back to the plateaus of testing when it looked like they had half a second on Mercedes. Yeah, and, you know, in Australia, they had over-boosting issues on their engines. They were getting drag-raced in a straight line by the Hondas. And in, we thought that that was a fluke. We thought, okay, in Bahrain, you know, they have Mercedes' number. They're both quicker. And then Leclerc had a fuel injection system failure. And not only that... I remember that. that. We remember that race because it was included. We were all in this voice chat, shattered at the prospect as we watched Leclerc's car slowly fall apart. As Keith Mansfield's Love Deluxe plays in the background, terrifyingly and ominously, this team is a dumpster fire. Yeah, and the first of many strategic blunders. They have Vettel with an enormous gap to Hamilton, and Hamilton pits to get the undercut and Ferrari doesn't react. And Hamilton closes, what, an eight-second gap in a couple of laps. And they send Vettel out on cold tires. And Vettel has to overdrive the shit out of the car, and he spins. That was a running theme of the year. Ferrari's overconfidence in the car that they produced. And it didn't help towards the end of the year when Charles Leclerc had two very emotionally charged victories that softened over the cracks. Belgium and Italy, two race wins within seven days of each other. Um, one, obviously, in the same weekend, the tragic passing of his, one of his best friends, Antoine Hubert, and then a first home win in a decade. It it didn't help. It papered over a lot of the cracks. And that's the story of Ferrari's season. It was overconfidence in response to complete underconfidence in their car to completely change the design of it after preseason in its suspension unit. Go away from what got you here, which was Sebastian Vettel, who often outperformed Ferrari to have gotten to this point in the first place. Off the back of a confidence beat in 2018, where he made numerous mistakes, where he, had again, had to go over the limit to try and stay with a Merck's team that was getting away from him. Yeah, Ferrari... And then you put all your eggs in... It's yeah, hard to cut you, Cam. Just yeah, second, but like, they put all their eggs in. They put they put all their eggs in the Charles Leclerc breadbasket, and Leclerc made errors too. Yeah, they had. Le- in Le- hindsight, they had the same fucking season. They had the same season, essentially, where both of them had you know huge highs, and both of them had disastrous races. Some of their own making, some not. But Ferrari had as follows, and I, I'll get into this for a bit. The overboosting issues in Australia. Charles' fuel injection failure in Bahrain, Seb's air air pressure line failure in Austria qualifying, a double mechanical failure, two separate mechanical failures in Germany qualifying, where they look like they had the pace, and then Sebastian having a catastrophic MGUK failure, which took him out of the race in Russia. Ferrari, for some reason, put all their eggs in the engine basket and built an efficiency-based car, and... The engine wasn't good enough to overcome the car's lack of speed. It was unreliable. I honestly think Ferrari and Mercedes... I honestly think Ferrari's engine was not better. It's that they pushed it harder, and it showed because they were having failures left and right. Look at Sochi. Look at Sochi. Look at Sochi. Yeah. That is the... Sochi is the peak poster 
for everything that went wrong at Ferrari this year. It had the whole lot. It was poorly organised, from Charles Leclerc's pole position to the idiotic plan to try and back Hamilton down so that Vettel could, could, could pass him, but then not expect him to challenge for the lead. You gave him team orders immediately to give up his lead for Leclerc when, the, when Vettel was the fastest man on track by miles because Vettel absolutely was doing the right thing in trying to break free from Lewis Hamilton and build as big a lead as you can. You deliberately fucked him in the pit strategy by putting him on a four-lap overcut compared to his teammate to deliberately put Charles Leclerc on, on shot tires on the radio while he's yelling it. over the radio on that his tires are dead. Yeah, well, they put him on a four-lap overcut and they caved into Charles Leclerc as a makeup call for Singapore, right? And then Vettel's MGUK fails, he's out of the race, and the subsequent safety car screws Charles Leclerc of what could have been a race victory. If you want to see everything that happened with Ferrari and how their season fell apart, look at Russia. Also Russia is a microcosm of everything that went on with his yeah. team. And From poor car design, to poor strategy, to poor driver management, to poor engine management, to poor development. The whole bingo card is filled by Russia. Yeah. I actually look at Germany, where they had two mechanical failures, where they had Mercedes dead to rights in qualifying. They were so much quicker because Ferrari's Q3 mode was something fierce this year. And... And we'll get into that with the whole controversy with Red Bull. And Vettel spends the entire race writing his own strategies after starting from last. Ends up P2 because he wrote his own strategies. Charles is spending the whole time overdriving the shit out of the car and ended up on the drag strip of poor judgment. And they bet everything on building a car that was so fast in qualifying that they didn't need race pace, that they could just use the dirty air. Only, in building a car with so little downforce, they couldn't work the 2019 tires. But then, you have a car that is overheating the surface of the tire because it's sliding and isn't able to heat the carcass of the tire. So not only could it not generate grip, it was also wearing the shit out of them. Yeah, they turned they turned Pirelli tires into hot pockets that have been sitting in the microwave too long. Cor they're still cold in the middle, but they're extremely hot on the surface. Yeah. And then when we thought that the car was fixed, when they brought a massive upgrade package to Singapore, jeez, Vettel put in lap of the fucking year. That outlap in Singapore was sensational. The best lap of the year. It won him a Grand Prix. It won him the Grand Prix. And then you have Charles being given basically max engine mode and bitching on the radio as to what the hell happened. This team is a mess. They're so busy. This team is a mess. They're busy fighting each other too much to even think about challenging Mercedes. They don't know how to design a fucking car. When you've got a driver, you've got a number one driver who we know thrives in a certain type of car. You had that two years ago and you walked away from it. After they were, you know, a better engine and reliability away from a championship. It just makes no sense. This year was a waste. This year was a terrible waste of, of, of something that could have been very special. They a had waste of two brilliant drivers' talents. Oh, and I yep. almost forgot. Who the fuck thought it was a good idea to give their chief designer, who designed the 2017 and 2018 cars, to Alfa Romeo? That was a terrible idea. And then brought him back in the middle of the year, and he at least tried to bandage over some of the car's problems. 
Well, it was starting to get to, into a Singapore. The reason why they were so good in Singapore is because Mercedes hadn't developed their car since Germany. And as soon as Mercedes threw an update at the car in Japan, suddenly they had unassailable race pace. And Ferrari looked just as far away as they were before. In the, this, this, this season's a mess. And you know, like, like, as Cam says, it's a terrible goddamn shame. It's a terrible waste of the resources and talent that they have available to them. This team, as a Ferrari fan, was utterly infuriating to watch for the majority. I I can't remember a time in my life when this team has been so not maybe not so much bad as people have pointed out. Oh yeah, well what about Ferrari in '96 to '99? Yeah, they were bad, but they weren't frustrating because you know how good they could have been. Charles Leclerc and Sebastian Vettel at times were sensational this year. Uh, it, back then, and, when they were when they were in their initial period with Michael Schumacher and Eddie Irvine, they were building to something. Ferrari already has what they need in place. And they can't fucking get it done. They can't even come close. Yeah. They came close twice. And in 2017... As I said, Mercedes' engine was too overwhelming, and then they had two catastrophic reliability failures in a row. To say this to say nothing of the disaster in Singapore. And then in 2018, they were great for the first half of the year. They botched the upgrade package in Singapore, and they were never even close again. Nope. This team needs a better person at the helm running it from top to bottom. I'm gonna I'm gonna cut it off here. Roz will be here till 1:30 in the morning my time. I still Not got another hour to go. Shut up. Oh, shit. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, Cam. Now, like, the team gets a four. And the only reason I'm going that high is because they still got three wins, a spread of pole positions, and 500 points. I can't ignore that. But the frustrations and the errors that was almost, like, won around for Ferrari as the years would go by. You can pick almost any race on the calendar besides their 1-2 finish at Singapore, and you can point out an error that cost them dearly in that race. I can um, think of and, uh, maybe one truly good strategy all year that the team put together, and that was it. We, don't need, we can just summarize it. The car was a disaster. The team was a disaster. The drivers were all over the place. And, and you can't blame yeah. them. You have a car that's fundamentally opposed to Sebastian's driving style. And Leclerc is a driver in his second year who still needs to clean up his rough edges. The team gets a four for being incredibly, incredibly frustrating to follow and watch on a regular basis. And I'll say this for free. This sport is a better sport when Ferrari are good. They are box office, they are the team you care about most, they are the team that still is in the best possible position to challenge Mercedes long term, but they need to get their shit together, because this year was garbage by their standards, and it was a season that they, they pissed points up and down the wall all season long. Both their drivers, you know what, actually no, that's actually not, I'm going to split them a little bit. Sebastian Vettel gets a 7 Charles Leclerc gets an 8. Charles Leclerc was better than Sebastian this year. Um, not by a massive long shot, but Charles, given it was his second year in the sport and his first year in a big boy team, to outperform Sebastian Vettel by most metrics is very good indeed. Vettel still probably had the lion's share of driver errors still 
but again, you can, you can understand to a degree why, given, as we said, the car's been blatantly yanked away from his development in the last year and a half, and it shows. And... And I don't know what, no, no, why you made the dream move of bringing him in if you're going to go away from his logic the moment shit hits the fan. It's that's it's, not what a good team. All Ferrari does. needs to do is look at 2015 and 2017, where in 2015 the Ferrari was on average almost a second away from the Mercs in qualifying on average, mm-hmm. and he was only eliminated from the championship at the same race as Nico Rosberg. And you Seven can say that he's not the same driver, but in 2017. Jeez, at least they kept Mercedes honest. RJ King chip in before Cam goes off on another rant. Oh, oh um, <laughs> should, should I give my, I my numbers before I get to them? Go ahead and give your numbers. <laughs> yeah, um, We've just been out here having a beer. You're enjoying the deck chairs. <laughs> yes. Um, when I put my numbers out there, I take into account team resources and what they have to work with. Ferrari gets a two for me. When you are spending as much as you are, and you have the the physical and personnel resources you have, and you have, in my opinion, the best driver lineup on the grid, there is no excuse. Um, Both driver. I think I'm going to give Seb a seven. I'm going to give Charles a seven and a half. They had the same season, just at different points. I think Leclerc, Leclerc gets the half point for me because, again, he's in his second year. And he is a very, very talented driver. But uh, they both made errors that were just unnecessary. Uh, for me, for me, I'm going to be the nice one to Ferrari and say that they get a six. They were slightly above average compared to, you know, like the bulk of the teams. They weren't great, but they weren't terrible. Um, Vettel. Everybody is... What everybody that's not on this podcast, like you think we're just a hive mind of Sebastian Vettel's super fans, but the truth is, like Sebastian Vettel's still good. If he wants to walk away, that's fine. But he, there's no justification for him for doing that. And you're not going to say, stick a better driver than Vettel in that car and say whatever you want about Ferrari's drivers. The issue is not in the seat. No, it's not with them. Vettel gets an 8.5. Leclerc gets an 8.5. Leclerc has so much potential to be better. And he was... And he didn't have to lead the team right out of the box, people. Forget this. <sighs> yeah, my take on the situation... Well, numbers first. Giving the team four. Both the drivers, eights. Like, again, sorry even said. Yes, the team did you know, finish second in the constructors, get a handful of wins, but people expect them to be contending for championships. And when you come in with that expectation and you fall so, so far short, there has to be some kind of critical reper- repercussions for it. Yeah, and... Should we talk, should we talk I, about Mercedes before, before Cam blows the gas? I'm about to go off again, let's go. Um, Mercedes... Right. <laughs> Holy shit. Mercedes. Mercedes. The Constructors' Champion, 739 points. So, uh, Valtteri Bottas having 326 of those. 
Um, four wins, 15 podiums, five pole positions, three fastest laps, 185 laps led. Personal bests across the board for wins in a season, most points, most pole positions, and podium finishes. Set the first ever points paying fastest lap in Australia back in March. God, that seems like an eternity ago. Lewis Hamilton, world champion, record point total, 413 points, 11 wins, 17 podiums, five pole positions, six fastest laps, and 511 laps led. In every category except pole positions, he led the season in. Resets record for most points in a season. Races led and races led from pole. That was the 50th time in Abu Dhabi he'd won a race from lights to flag, by the way. Um, Ties record for most consecutive points, paying finishes and race, podiums in a season. 13 straight seasons with a race win. Two away from Schumacher's 15 in a row from 1992 to 2006. Only seven behind Schumacher's all-time wins record with 84. And only the second driver in history to win six world championships. This is interesting because I don't think Mercedes are quite as good as they were last year. I think... That's funny. And it's funny because this is the season where they started the year with five straight one-twos, which is really this funny. This was a weird one where... Of course, going into the season, we had the aero regulation change, and Mercedes picked the barn door concept. Big-ass wings, all the mechanical grip in the world, and live with the drag deficit. And oh god, could yeah. they. Yeah. This car was re-goddamn-diculous in medium to low-speed turns. The traction that it had. Oh, it's not perfect, but... And especially when the team we just had our therapy session about and the other team that aspires to be at this level, when they're not quite there yet, it looks bulletproof. Yeah, I mean, Mercedes, when you think of Mercedes last year, their comparative weakness in low speed turns, they were making Red Bull look like midfielders for some of the season. You have to you dread what they could do in 2020. Yeah, and that's another thing. I think Mercedes looks worse than they actually were in the second half of the season because they could basically just funnel all their resources into next year. The championships were already dead and gone. Even then, they still brought a minor upgrade package that still made them look like hot shit in Japan. Yeah, because uh, I think they brought three major updates on the year, and each one just put them farther out ahead of everybody. And they were never going to win in Belgium and Italy, considering their, uh, why should I say that? Despite their drag penalty, they had so much race pace because their tire wear was so good that were it not for Vettel acting as a pick in Belgium, Lewis Hamilton very well could have lo- caught Leclerc in Belgium. Yeah, And uh, that's just <laughs> that's just the overriding theme for me of the year. Mercs were probably more vulnerable this season than they have been in any of the six we've had in the hybrid era so far. But with everybody else making key mistakes, Verstappen probably not having enough backup to really go after Hamilton throughout most of the year, and we mentioned Ferrari screw-ups on numerous occasions as the year went on, basically giving Mercedes an open door on some occasions to punish them for it. Like... It came back to bite them hard in the end, but if you're Mercs, you could only be who they put in front of you. And Lewis Hamilton was a very different sort of brilliant this year in that he lost his ace in the hole. He didn't qualify particularly well this season. I, he, had, he had five poles. And he, had, he had 11 last year. I really think that's more down this. to the Mercedes and the fact that the Ferrari was so tremendous in qualifying where they could crank up their engines. 
But how many times did Hamilton still put it on the front exactly. row? Exactly. Uh... And or still was able to negotiate his way through unideal situations in race trim. He did it so many and times it was ridiculous. And that's the it. thing: the Mercedes had completely unassailable race pace. No, other than combined, other that, than, com- I think Austria, where they were racked with cooling issues and still got a car on the podium, because Mercedes made their car too good in the first half of the season. They shrank their side pods so much that it was actually pretty critical at a couple of races. Other than high altitude, they were cleanly the fastest in every race. Not necessarily in qualifying. And, and as well, in Even Italy, so. um, he was Lewis Hamilton was also only a somewhat dodgy defensive move away from taking that win as well. But that's just it. They were a threat at every single Grand Prix on the calendar. Even the ones when their backs were against the wall, they still found the yeah. way to get it done more often than not. You, Lewis Hamilton, like I said, was a different kind of brilliant. He didn't dominate races from lights to flag a lot of the time this year but he kept his foot in it he didn't put he didn't make a very he didn't make a great deal of driver errors pretty much all year long you can probably count them on less than one hand and probably have fingers left over um austria the i'm uh, sorry no, germany probably the only one that really sticks out throughout the entire year and, um, and, and germany he kind of has a uh he kind of has an out on that one because half the field ended up in the wall Germany and yeah. Brazil, old uh, old friends from 2014, of course. Um, those were the low points. Those are the low points, and they're still salvaging points. Low I points where so. he still increases championship lead. And even then, I mean, that that's the thing with Mercedes. They either blow you out of the water, or when you do beat them, they're breathing down your neck. They're always there. They are always there. And, and props to Valtteri as well. You know, he's not... I don't think he's ever going to be the Lewis beater that we want him to be, i.e. Nico Rosberg. But he is still an excellent number two driver. He's the perfect clean-up man for Mercedes. He's a, he's a very loyal, very devout company guy. He's done a solid for him again. And he was much better this year. This was the season he probably should have had last year if the luck had gone a bit more his way. And... This was his best season in F1 to date. I mean, 15 podiums is very impressive no matter which way you slice it. Um, And yeah, he's not going to be Lewis Hamilton. And that's okay, because he does brilliantly for what Mercedes need him to be. And that's okay. Yeah, and I think also in who they lost this year, I think... Indeed. I think they... um, I think that only galvanized them further to just beat the brakes off the field. I don't want to use this as a as a, as a criticism. Sorry, yeah, to cut, cut you account because I don't, use, I don't use this as a criticism because everybody handles grief differently. Ferrari lost uh, Ferrari lost their chairman and CEO a couple of years ago, and they've never really been the same team since. Mercedes lost their iconic chairman and figure in Nicky Lauda this year, and didn't look back. Maybe that maybe there's something to that. I, don't I know. think um, for me, potentially drive of the year was Lewis Hamilton on Mercedes. Only real huge strategy screw up for the year, being put on terrible tires and holding off a rampant Max Verstappen at Monaco with the red halo in tribute to Nikki. I think for me that's my moment of the year. Nine point five for Mercedes team. They rarely put a foot wrong. Only one technical retirement the entire season. 
is incredibly impressive in 42 cars that they raced all year. Um, their drivers didn't really put much of a foot wrong. Strategy-wise, they completely obliterated the field. The call in Hungary was the best single strategy call of the entire season, and it was stunning from Addison and the boys in the back. They did a brilliant, brilliant job of basically giving Hamilton a win that he probably wouldn't have gotten under the normal circumstances. If you want to see the quality of Mercedes in action... What rewatched the Hungarian Grand Prix? Mercedes at their absolute finest. Indeed. Um, Lewis Hamilton, 9.5. He is still the gold standard. He is still utterly brilliant. A different kind of brilliant compared to last year. Maybe not as ultra impressive as it was, but he still scored 400 foot. Technically speaking, he had a better season than he did last year. I think a lot of that is that he didn't have someone pushing into the absolute limit like Seb did last year for the first half where he was having to really dig deep, but then the base level of Lewis Hamilton is still just that good. It's just ridiculous. Valtteri Bottas gets an 8.5. Couldn't really have done much more in the circumstances. Um, Again, a a very good season from him. Boys? Um, Just to kind of tie a bow on things, yeah. I have no qualms with Mercedes. They get a 9 for me. Um, Hamilton gets a 10 for me. Another... A landmark season. Um, Botas gets an eight point five out of me. God, this team. This team's too good. Yeah, they are just incredible. My numbers: Mercedes ten. Ooh, wow. That's fair. I'm giving. I'm giving it to like, despite their faults. There's a case. There's certainly a case you can make there. Despite their faults, I think they deserve a ten. Hamilton. I'm also giving a ten. Don't you dare, Bottas. King. Don't. Okay. He's getting an okay. eight. I'm not making the same mistake. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> um, um, Mercedes, 9.75 out of 10. Um, the car was ridiculous. The reliability was ridiculous. They were so good, they could effectively stop developing it in the second half of the year, which everyone should be terrified for next year. Um, Lewis Hamilton... Nine and a half out of ten. Fantastic. What more is there to say about this guy that hasn't already been said? And Valtteri Bottas, I give him an eight. I think the car flattered him a little bit, but he definitely didn't have to drop off quite as bad as he did last year. Very fair. Very Very fair. fair. Absolutely. Final thoughts on 2019, fellas, before we get out of here. There was a lot of good racing. I just wish the champion. A lot, lot more good racing than the first handful of races might have. You the middle of the season was re goddamn ridiculous. Thank you, European heatwave. Post France, at least. After France, shit got good. <laughs> um, race of race of the century candidate in Germany. Oh, that was wild. <laughs> one wild yeah, Germany was a, was a race of the decade contender. Yeah. Um, Brazil had one of the better finishes in a while. Again, it's just a shame that the championship <laughs> fight didn't pass. That's kind of thing. For as horrible as the championship fight was and that there just wasn't one, the racing itself was really good this year. When DRS was enabled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess that leaves me, doesn't it? Um... <laughs> I guess I've got to put a bow on things. Um, 2019 was an interesting season. It was a season where we saw a lot of a shot. We, we saw a, a shot in the arm for driver talent 
um, in their own ways. George Russell and Alex Albon and Lando Norris were spectacular. Carlos Sainz was 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 spectacular. We saw drama as the midfield top chopped and changed. Drivers got shuffled round. Verstappen appeared like a genuine threat for a, for a couple of rounds here and there. Ferrari was frustrated, and it really was like Ferrari season in a sense. If you really want to go down that narrative, because everything that played out over the course of the year revolved around them in some capacity. It was a lot more about Ferrari and their shortcomings than Mercedes and its brilliance. And that makes things very interesting. Um, as echoing my colleagues here as well, um, the middle chunk of the year, I would say you could probably throw Canada in there too because Canada in a vacuum... We didn't even go into Canada dramatic. with the Ferrari section. Oh, boy. Let's not go there. Um, I mean, yeah, Canada in a vacuum was 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 a shut up, Cam. No, I was gonna say Canada, <laughs> Austria, Great Britain, Germany, yeah. Hungary, yeah. Belgium. Hungary. No, we had a genuinely great run of about six or seven great races in a row. Like I'd say a block of maybe seven out of eight if you take France out of the equation. Austria had the Verstappen Leclerc last lap drama. Silverstone was a great race. Germany was a race of the decade contender. Hungary was a dramatic race for 95% of it. Belgium was a dramatic race for, for all the way through till the end. Italy was a was a, a that was the best Italian Grand Prix in maybe 20 years. Singapore was great as well. Again, full of drama. Um, Russia was great for drama, like, if not for the actual race. Of course, and you know it goes on. The race quality was as good as it's ever been. I don't know how much of that was sheer dumb luck or ecstasy or team errors or anything like that. But we got some genuinely entertaining races here, mostly via shithouse. But hey, they all count. <laughs> and it's a shame because this season will probably be forgotten in the long scheme of things because we didn't have one great big overriding story. The story was the fact there wasn't really one. Lewis Hamilton was the best driver on the planet from start to finish, and nobody ever really came close. I... We called Valtteri a porridge boss for a couple of rounds, and, you know, we saw Verstappen as a threat for a little bit, but overall, you know, there this the one thing this season lacked that stopped it from being an all-time great <clears throat> was the fact we never really had a title fight in either category. I really think, as you talked about earlier, the story of it was that Ferrari, with all of the resource and talent in the world, made themselves into laughingstocks over and over yeah. and over. And, while Mercedes... And, Mercedes is too bulletproof. Mercedes with a counterpuncher. Every time Ferrari threw a jab... Ferra Ferrari usually the jabbed themselves... The the usually Ferrari was jabbing themselves in the eye. Indeed. And that's just it. So that for me, that was the overriding form theme of the season. It was it was the shortcomings that people made and Mercedes throwing haymakers that did us all in. And while we didn't get a title fight in the end, we certainly got some drama. And that was probably the fun of 2019. Come back for part two in March and we'll see what happens. Until then... <laughs> Because we've been recording now for three and a half hours. God bless us. There's been a lot of catharsis <laughs> in this episode. Yeah, we have one more weekly show to get through. It'll be the Motorsport 101 Awards. I'll get out the suit and tux for next week on that one. It's going to be a fun time. Thanks to everyone that's been listening. And thanks to everyone in the Discord chat that's stuck around for the last 
God knows how long. Three and a half um, hours much, plus pre-show. You guys are the best. Thank you very much. Um, much appreciated. Like You know where to find the social media-wise. YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Facebook.com exactly the same. Um, Motorsport underscore 101 on Twitter. Um, you know, C Buckley 917. At Ryan Eric King. At Harrison 101 HD. Um, and RJ O'Connell, our Twitter handles. Motorsport101.com for all the written shit I wrote in November. That's a fun time. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Motorsport101 if you want to back us financially. Um, this episode, These two episodes will be available for just a dollar, um, so there's no better time to be a Patreon backer than now over Christmas. Um, that, that will be our final weekly show until probably sometime around the new year. Um, we'll get we'll stay tuned in our social media and we'll keep you all up to date certainly um but uh, uh all of that and much much more on there um as well 10 bucks gets you into the support stuff like we can survey because these shows are live as they go out Trey, we can look but, forward uh, to the we, autosport top 50 oh fuck <laughs> fuck me sideways um that's how we that's starting the new year with the top 50 blast oh god <laughs> I've been Andre Harrison, they've been Cam Buckley, Ryan King, and RJ O'Connell. Thank you all so much for listening. We will catch you guys next week for the Motorsport 101 Awards. Until then, sire Later, y'all. Until next time. <laughs>